Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and uh, today I get to speak with someone who has been around uh, in, in some circles <laughs> that, that I've been participating in, but just kind of more like a whisper as this, as this uh, presence, um, that uh, almost mythological presence, I would say, uh, with always spoken about with lots of respect. That's how I perceived it. Uh, so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, uh, Ria Beck. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, it's really good to have you. I think, you know, during our our little connect and, and pre-call, uh, it's a really beautiful experience. And, and one of the things that we ended up talking about in the end was was about success and success yeah. in this uh, system that we live in. So I think at some point today, uh, I would love to touch upon that again. That's a topic that's alive for me. Mm. Nonetheless, let's start in a, in a different end of, the, of this weave uh, mm. by asking you the, very, the question that I always ask my guests, which is, who are you, Ria Beck? Wow. There's many answers to that question. Many identities, you could say. I'm a mother of three sons and grandmother of seven grandchildren. Um, that's one. Um, I live in a household with two other adults in Belgium. One is side. Um, you could say I'm retired, as they call it. Because I get every month, I get a basic income from the Belgian government. So, um, yeah, I've been for the longest time. I've been a therapist, body awareness-based therapy, um, which led me to coaching of teams and hosting bigger conferences and bigger processes and longer time processes and from there into self-organization and something that we then named like what is holding space and what is the magic in the middle that sometimes happens in a circle conversation or in a dialogue. So there's many, many, I'm also a, a gardener. Um, every weekend day you can find me in my garden, growing vegetables and flowers and harvesting apples and pears and all that. <laughs> so there's lots, lots to answer about who am I. <laughs> Thank you. And I mean, if it is, of course, in those types of circles where I've heard your your name, uh, the, mm. the the ones that have to do with the magic in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And um, to me, it's a it's a relatively new frame that that there could be such a thing. Mm. And there was a, it was a discovery, a little bit that it's completely new and yet very familiar um, when you start feeling it i mean it's been there i've had conversations mm -hmm. in my life um but i yeah. haven't really paid attention to it um how did you come to that exploration how did i come to that um i became part of what is called the art of hosting conversations that matter network <laughs> to make the mm. full the full uh title and in gatherings and deepening the circle practice, which is a very ancient practice, of course. Um, African people, lots of African people still know how to do that just because that's how they grew up. Um, and we noticed at some point that at some point in, when you're deep in a, in, in a conversation, there's a, a switch 
in energy and in awareness. And we were so fascinated. That's why I, we called it the magic in the middle, which sets me off on on a year-long quest, I think, like, what is that thing? Um, and actually, what are the conditions, basically, to actually not have it just happenstance, but kind of guide us towards it? Um, it does, so far, there's no, it's not like if you do this and this and this and this, then you have it. Um, this it's it's new you know we are just learning um it's i see it as a new capacity uh, for humans these days um, but yeah from one circle to another and from one gathering to another and trainings and um and then we went on a quest actually a series of um gatherings which were held by my companion who was then living near Boston and we we did all in all we did 13 gatherings Europe US Europe US um, which we called women moving the edge we wanted to move that edge of of awareness of consciousness and from there um, I started to see some patterns and what are the pitfalls and what you should do and you shouldn't do and all that. But, but it's still early, early stage, I think, of what we actually are able to do mm. in that regard. And, and is, it, um, is it a process of remembering or is it a process of discovering to you? Um, there might be two processes, I think, going on. Um, the memory being humans have been sitting in circles and solving the problems for millennia, probably, sitting around the campfire or under the local tree or whatever. So there's something of that kind of memory and it's what you do with friends, like, and sometimes even in in a conversation with a friend, at the end of the evening, you say like, "Wow, that was an amazing conversation." Like, who's who actually said what, or who initiated the thought, or you, it it becomes like a one thing, yeah. So, in that regard, it's not something new, but to do it consciously and to do it, I think what the biggest difference is with, let's say, when we were tribal people, is over the millennia, the decades, we have, in the West especially, we have this strong ident identification, like, this is me. Yeah, and I'm different from you. And, um, but I think the core quality of that is that there is an authenticity in each of us. And to be aware of the authenticity and kind of be aware of the collective field, resonance, whatever you call that, um, both at the same time, I think that is new. Mm. So you're fully aware of your authenticity and you bring what you sense and your mind might think that doesn't make sense, but anyway, <laughs> you, you, you speak from a felt sense, not from what was already in your head, uh, what was preformed already, um, and then connecting with the group you're in and these multiple authenticities that are gathered together and 
understanding that that is a wholeness in itself, that group of people. Where some people, if I just look at some of my friends, they say like, yeah, but the, in the stars, astrology says these days, this and that and the other. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't have any link with astrology myself. But there's some signal that comes through to them. Or other people say, like, I had a dream, or my intuition says, or... And all together, that's, that's kind of the puzzle we work with, although the puzzle doesn't have a picture on the box where you can look how it looks like, because yeah. it, it will kind of... That's the magic. It will kind of emerge from the middle, from the center. Mm. That's how I think about it now, and maybe in five years' time I think differently. Mm. It's like, um, for me, these types of practices has been, because I'm, I'm not, I've never been exposed to a religious, sort of a, a proper, like I, I'm not a person of faith, in a way, uh -huh. and, and I don't have any experience of uh, that type of context. Not really. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've, we've been in in different churches, and my father is, uh, you know, Hindu, but not really practicing. Yeah. We kind of go, part, participate in rituals sometimes. But to me, to engage in these types of contexts, it was almost like that. That's the type of quality that I imagine would be there for somebody that has. A faith, mm. like that has, like it's, it's almost like a rediscovery of being in faith, or like there's a certain type of communing um, that felt like, and it's felt like a remembrance a lot for me to, mm. or, or just kind of sinking into trust, even like that. There's a there's a certain sort of relaxation that yeah. where I'm held by something else. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is in between us yeah and like you i um i'm raised catholic as most flemish people were raised in my time um but i never had what a friend of mine would call a living god it was mm. just you go to church every sunday and you do your prayers every morning in school and but that was just what you should do, what you ought to do, but it never was something that was alive for me. So I dropped out when I was off, after my children were born and baptized. That was the last Catholic act I did. Um, so I guess so, um, but it's not just you and and god or whatever you call it but it's also what i in, in the collective presencing as we uh practice it now i think there's this intermediate step of having it with this bunch of people this group mm -hmm. now here and now um and of course there's there's a lot of trust involved I mean, I have to trust my own authentic sparks that come up, um, stories even, emotions even, intuitions. And I have to trust the others, their sparks, their dreams, their intuitions, their knowledge, their knowing. And kind of, how to say, because in the in the beginning, when we were so amazed by this magic in the middle, we we thought like, oh, there is actually a circle being. There is something that mm. that mm. kind of manifests itself, and and it was actually in a conversation with Anita Roy who said like, don't make it a thing again, as we do with so many things, yeah. <laughs> and um. I realized it's actually when I have an awareness of the whole group and everybody has that awareness, that's, that's where the magic happens. 
that's when we feel like, oh, wow. Even in, it can be a silence, and I call it a shared silence. It's not just, oh, nobody's talking and I'm getting anxious about, but there's an awareness of that whole group and you can kind of sense that everybody has the same awareness somewhere. Yeah, and then we lack words to, to, all, to all name that. Yeah. Like what is silence and silence and stillness and... I think we will need to invent language to make distinctions about what is what. We're not there yet, I guess. And <laughs> just another perspective is that that it might just be us that we're learning the language of silence or relearning it again, like that. That it it, it in itself has a certain language. The, I don't know. I mean, I have this experience for myself of, of, because I used to dance a lot when I was a kid and and Mm -hmm. in a way I identify a lot being a dancer uh, because that came very natural to me. Like that movement was, was very, it's always been in me in a way. Mm -hmm. And I've always been moved by music rather than moving to like it's, and, and that is definitely a language to me, like the, the expressions and the body, like you can, you can speak so much that, that there aren't words for, and, and you're mm. communicating in very short pieces of information, like bits almost. You can communicate, you know, volumes of would have taken a long time to say in words. It would not have been efficient to say. It would have you had to write a book almost, but you can do that with a gesture, like with a specific mm. facial expression or something like that. It just kind of... Yeah. I wonder if you know the five rhythm stands? No. No, that was kind of from the 60s or the 70s onwards by Gabrielle Rode. And she saw that there's five rhythms in all natural processes. And so you dance, you dance through the rhythms from very flowy, staccato, chaos, and the end is stillness. And we tend to stand still then. In that practice, it was always like, keep on moving in the stillness. Like, and what, what is it that your body does in the stillness? How? Most of the time, it's very slow body movements. But yeah, I know the feeling of like suddenly understanding something from what my body does. I'm like, ah, okay. That's what that was, or that's what's going on, or um, and what I kind of hope or try to train myself and people in is in through the practice is can we learn to speak from that place, mm-hmm. that place where the body knows how to move. Can we speak from there? So not speaking from what is ideas in your head or memories, Mm. but something that comes up in the moment from the felt sense, as gently we call it. I like, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. What comes up is the word um, homeostasis. Uh (laughs) Um, And as an, instead of using the word balance, but there's something around homeostasis, which to me kind of points in a specific direction because it's still, it's, it's almost like the stillness. It's like there is a, in one way, it's it's from a certain perspective, it might look static, but there's not static mm. about like there's there's so much it contains so much flow. Yeah, it's a, it's a continuous rebalancing. Um, yeah, and that's maybe 
some of what people critique on the practice of collective presence is, oh, it's only talking. And when are we going to do something? Um, but I guess when is our action born from that space where when you do free-flowing dancing, how does your body know how to move in a certain way? Or why does your body move in that way and my body moves in another way with, on the same music? But it comes from somewhere. Where, where is that somewhere? Yeah. I, I no. love that question. No, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The best I found is what Chandling calls the felt sense. Like you feel somehow, like this example that he gives, like if a poet writes a, a poem and there is a word in the poem and you say, but that's not the exact word yet. It's something similar, but, and then at a certain point, that specific word pops up, comes to mind, and then says, you see, that's the word. That kind of felt sense, yeah. which we all have, but we're not trained at all to, to recognize it, to, to look for it, to let alone to articulate it. Um, mm. or to amplify it or cultivate it. Yeah. And, and even to, just, I, guess, I guess that's part of the reason why I brought up faith before, because it has to do with even, even to allow for the notion that there might be such a thing. And, yeah. and, then, and then also to I, I'm reading this uh, wonderful person, man, uh, Christopher Alexander, uh -huh. who has been uh, talking about um, life-centric ways of building, basically. Yeah. This is, that was his, and he argues that life, you know, life is a quality that, that we all understand and we orient to. And even though that it's hard to pin down, we all know when there's more exactly. and when there's less like it's it's not a soft quality in that way like it's <laughs> it's very tangible it's, but it's very precise sometimes yeah 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 and all people talking about generative generative agriculture and generative this and that and so many things that's the quality you would need to use us as, as some kind of benchmark like mm -hmm. ah is it producing more life or not is this conversation generating some more life or not is what i do during the day is it brings it more life to the world or does it take some life or does it how do you say stifle I actually heard someone speak of, um, which I got curious about you know, because of your background within within psychology. Um, mm. and, but I heard I heard uh, someone speak to the fact that there has been a lot of manuals written in a lot of different fields, including psychology and coaching and so forth. And so there's like there's so many methods that we are taught, mm -hmm. and and that we have been taught also to prioritize the method almost over yeah. everything else, like regardless of what the patient seems to be or, or the uh -huh, subject, uh -huh. or, you know. Yeah. It feels Bring, related, but yeah, it, I, I can't formulate the question. Yeah, it brings me to one, I mean, I studied five years at university and I think this is the one thing I've 
remembered the most was a huge research project in the US, must have been in the 70s or the 60s. And they were um, measuring impact of group therapy on people, but there was uh, transactional analysis, there was T groups, there was Roger, how do you say that? Based on uh, Paul Rogers, Gestalt, you name it, there were. Mm. And so the outcome of this whole study, and it was longitudinal, like measuring after the training and after three months and after six months and after two years or something, I don't remember the details, but the outcome was the best training and the last one were both gestalt groups. And so what was the conclusion? It had nothing to do with the method, but all to do with the trainer. So that is one of the things that has stuck in my mind, one of the few things that I learned. Um, it's that that quality of the trainer or the therapist, not what he or she does. How can how does one relate to somebody? And, and if you, yeah, I've seen so many clients over the years. Not one is the same as another. Of course, you see more and more patterns over the years as you see more clients, but no, there's no one method that is the best, I think. Because you've been, you said something when we spoke um, before mm -hmm. <laughs> this conversation that was around um, that there was a, there's something that appears, there's something that we can see. And then your job was to kind of find what knots were there that was kind of creating this ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. behavior that we see. And so something around this that really stuck with me was that it, it's about loosening the knots not necessarily untying them all together maybe maybe sometimes that's appropriate but mm. to loosen them and to allow for something to flow through and then see what happens yeah it's a, it's again that quality of life isn't it christopher alexander talks about of course he talks about buildings but and i talk about more about people but if you have we all have knots, we all have trauma, whatever you call it, patterns, survival patterns. There's actually patterns is actually something that is life force that has been frozen somehow, or rigid at least, maybe not totally frozen, but rigid. Like this is how I always react. This is how I, yeah. And Yeah, what, what I was referring to in that earlier conversation is people come with complaints like, this doesn't work in my life, or that doesn't work, and I want to change that, or something needs to happen. But what's how the knot looks on the surface might have different knots in the deeper layers of the psyche in different people. I mean, you can say my relationship isn't working um, or I, I'm not happy um, or I'm depressed, but where is that actual, where did the, the free flowing of energy stop or was it stuck in a certain way? Um, and it's the same for, I, I saw the same with teams or organizations or yeah, even big organizations, they have like a an imprint and certain things are possible and certain things not. And yeah, it's it's amazing to actually look for it in a way. Like, ah, oh, what is it that I'm looking at? Where 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 is it that the energy does not flow? And that's what we can then work on. 
Mm. Mm. It's it's fun because what I'm, and this is just a small subset of groups that I've been involved with, where, where that are involved in this sort of mm-hmm. collective presencing practice or, or whatever we want to call it, but um, it feels like that seems like the higher practice almost. Like it's it's rare that we get to the actually look at that particular thing where does the energy not flow it's it's so easy to be kind of drawn in by the energy that does flow yeah 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 Yeah, and it's probably also phases like in the Uh. beginning when you feel like oh wow something really happened and wow this was an amazing dialogue and you get all enthused about it and you tell the whole world about it and and it's it's i think it's only later that you can see like okay why did it happen last time and not this time and what Mm. what what where was i how present how aware was i myself or something going on on a group level or um it's it's a high i don't i don't like the word high but it's 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 embracing more and more that's the point like we are so used in the west to just sorry this motorbikes on the hillside here um so used in the west to just think about myself and um No, I lost my trip with the motorbike. <laughs> uh, <laughs> can you remind me? Um, just this. Um, oh, it, the, go where the flow goes, or like be be caught by the flow, or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So used to think about that. Where where was I in relationship to the whole? Yeah, in the beginning, you're enthused to like, wow, this is possible. Wow, it's magic. Mm. But after some time, you're starting. To look for distinctions, like why did it happen this time and not the other time, and what was my contribution or not contribution, or um, so it's only when you—that's something I think Goethe said. Like when you contemplate something, you actually—I mean, deeply—you actually form a new sense of perception. Like he used it in art and he gave students um, the exercise to look at a flower and to really look at and look at it and then close their eyes and paint it and like being like almost being the flower. And that's where you, you, you actually train your subtle sensing. Not just like, oh, it's an orange flower and it has five petals. And yeah, it's nice, it's beautiful, da-da-da. But like going deeper into it, like, oh, wow. And there's actually also five leaves. And there are, I mean, there's so many details. And it's the same for what can happen in a dialogue, in a group process, in these intersubjective spaces, as we call it. Mm. The more you train yourself, the more you are in it, the more you see distinctions, the more you, yeah, the more you get to know about it uh, and you can share with others. I mean, like looking at buildings like Christopher Alexander, if you look at most Western cities, you hardly find a building that's alive in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but but we can notice and we we can become better at it. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm getting curious about also this this idea that you're saying like it's just talking and and then that mm. question around like where where is our action born? Mm. Um 
that really moved me that that particular question because I also know in my own practice that there are things that I've been able to do mysteriously over the past couple of years since I started doing all this weird stuff, (laughs) (laughs) dancing and meditating and all of that, you know, Yeah. Um, Yeah. that I haven't gotten around to. And it's not that I'm, I wasn't physically or, or theoretically able to do it before, but it it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of the stuff has started to happen. Like there's a lot of movement that has come, come alive or that has started to happen uh, around me, in me. Um, as a result of these practices. Yeah. And but it's such a, yeah. Mm, please. Yeah, go ahead. No, it's just such a, it's such a, speaking of language, it's, it's a hard thing to explain with, or yeah, when the question comes, it's, it's hard to explain. It's almost, mm. it's experiential almost rather than. It is. Yeah. For the Western mind mindset, you cannot explain. I mean, the Western mindset who looks at the physicality and and like how most of physics and biology, at least how I learned it in school. But in the meantime, we have quantum physics and we have ecology and ecology is everywhere uh, in biology and like yeah you put the wolves back into what was it Yellowstone Park and then what was the, the outcome more water and and so, so many other things so the western mind with this very sharp distinction between what is matter and what is not um, has to has to or is giving way in some people in some of us who like hey there isn't such a sharp distinction seems like if I let my body move more either meditation or dance or whatever that Chi Chi Kung, there's so many modalities. It seems there is more flow in my life. Huh? How come? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But once, once you've seen it and once you've experienced it, it's it's obvious. Yeah, and it follows. I, I get stuck in the in the arrogance sometimes of thinking that I'm done or done for the time being or something like that. And so I stop sometimes. And then things <laughs> shift again. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I'm probably double your age. Um I was sixty seven this summer. So and I've done a lot of individual personal work of course over the years and especially being a therapist and of course living my life and then I was in the summer there was some real crisis you could say in my life I'm like oh my god I thought I was done or at least by the time you're 40 or 50 you're done yeah sorry I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's easier because you have been through crisis. It's easier to trust that there will be an end and it will all be better afterwards and all that. But it was crisis nonetheless. (laughs) Lots of emotions. That's reassuring to hear. (laughs) (laughs) It's reassuring and also somehow frustrating like is there no end to it yeah but and because it, it, it this is nice because i was wondering how to bring in that concept of success in yeah. into the conversation but but we're, we're almost it almost felt like it it showed up now um <laughs> in, in some form yeah 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, no, please go ahead. You first. Yeah, as, <laughs> first. as a as a facilitator, I um, I did I gave some trainings in the art of hosting, as I mentioned it before, which was called the art of participatory leadership, and that was in the European Commission, which is a huge bureaucratic uh, beast, you could say. Um, and most of these people, they were talking about success and blah, 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 blah. and but one of the fundamental um, models that we use in the training is the Kinevin model from Dave Snowden, which actually points out what is obvious or simple, what is complicated. I always give the example of building an airplane is complicated because you need to know a lot about different sciences to actually to be able to do that. But there's a few options. But then there is the complex domain, which is when you work with people and think of the European Commission, so many countries, so many crises on all kinds of scales with so many stakeholders. It's always complex, meaning you cannot plan ahead you don't know how it's going to work out. You only know one next step. Mm. And you can look back and see what has worked so we can try to amplify that and dampen what doesn't work. But still, it might be wrong. So many times in this training, I said, like, what is success? If we are in a complex system, what does that even mean? I mean, success is when you have like maybe a complicated thing and you learn all the sciences and you become an expert and then you know what to do. Mm. But dealing with people, with cultures, with I don't know how many languages we have. I think 18 we had at certain point in, in the European Commission. It's complex. Hmm. And what a word that the English people use, if you translate it into French, it has some kind of different meaning, you know? And I mean, I have a friend who was a translator in the European Commission. It's like, you can hardly translate it even with the same kind of nuances because languages are different. So what is, when have you successfully translated a document? Even, even that simple, mm. even. Um, mm. So what is success in life? I, I do now, I, I use as a metric like, what we talked about before, like, did I add more life or did I make conditions that more life is possible? How, however small. Mm. I mean, I've been here now almost two weeks in, on a Greek island, on a property with a garden, and I've just basically... Most of what I did is I tended to the soil of the garden. I made compost and I didn't go anywhere. I just was here. I mean, the view is splendid from the terrace where I'm sitting and like from east to west. It's all a GNC with the sun right in front of my face. So it is beautiful. I didn't do any museum or I didn't visit Athens or different, different kind of value system. It, it, yeah. It's a beautiful illustration of this. Um, I hear two paradigms or like two paradigms that I've, in the way that I've been trying to live. I mean, I've, I was raised in the paradigm of more, yeah. 
where there's always more and, and the more boxes checked, um, yeah. sort of superficial more, you know, and, and then I'm, I'm starting to try to inhabit the paradigm of enough or, or maybe more mm-hmm. like a cultivating an ability to sink. Mm. Like to, to, and that sinking requires a certain quality of attention, maybe so that I can see the relationships because there's so much there. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to, (laughs) I was listening to actually Daniel Schmachtenberg and Nora Bateson just had a conversation a few days ago in Sweden. And I was listening to the webcast of that. And then they, they they kept talking about attention and there was a question about attention from the audience. And I cannot Mm -hmm. remember the question, but one of the answers to that question was, um, on one end, if you aren't really worried and really afraid for this whole situation we are in, you're not paying attention. And at uh-huh. the same time, if you're not in complete awe at every second of your life, you are not paying attention. Yeah. And, and in a one way, what, what Daniel was pointing towards was something around that both of those two are necessary or like they, they bridge each other. They, they really reinforce each other and, and give each other like a, it points to that attention piece, which is so important. And then mm-hmm. just weaving that with the concept of success that you are, or those questions of success to, to pay attention to what the success definition of success actually is. And then of course, that we very often at least complete things to whatever level of success that we had defined, predefined. But then the question is like, is it good enough? Um, or what did we miss? Or <laughs> Yeah. And, and of course, we do our best. But um, hmm. concept I just learned from Bonita Roy, it's like, are we looking for something? And I think a lot of what you said, more and success, is like we look somewhere over there where we need, we're looking for something that we then achieve or reach or can grab. Mm. And she contrasted it with looking at, just looking at, okay, the world, at least the world as we know it, a lot of that will collapse. And looking at what is what I actually sense in my body. Can I look at what are the little sparks in me to either go into the garden and do something or not? And listen to my body like, hmm, I want to sit and I noticed yesterday something that I want to listen to. So it's, it's, it's something about that sinking. I've never used that word sinking, but it's that I would call it grounding and mm. embodied, fully in your body, aware of what's going on, what the energy level is, or not, or yeah, where does this where do you notice the spark to do something or to say something or to reach out to somebody? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it comes back, it comes back to that beautiful question of yours this, this where does our action start from? Because yeah. It's a little bit like any, there is no one thing, at least in the way that I'm trying to maneuver my life. It's like, there's no one thing that is really a problem. Like I can, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a problem. It, it, it could be, but the question is like, what, what do I bring with me going forward? Like which, what are the colors? Like mm-hmm. imagining myself moving and then like, letting a, a trail of colors come out. Like what are those colors that I'm 
I'm bringing with me? And which colors do I let leave behind? Like, I mean, very concretely, like I have this process. It's a very deep personal process around my relationship to my parents where I just discovered a lot of fear in myself. And that fear has been defining the relationship for such a long time. And it has been stopping me to feel joy in relationship to my parents. It's that strong. (laughs) But I haven't wanted to look at it for the longest time. And so in a way, the fear, I'm, I'm grateful for the fear now that I've seen it because I'm it's orienting me towards something. It's pointing me in a direction, something that I can actually pay attention to and to look at. Mm. But in order for me to start tending to the relationship, I also need to kind of see how I let go of the fear, how I can let that fear be and, and, and allow, allow it to have done its job to invite me to listen or to see this thing. And from there I can move forward. I don't know if it makes sense. It's a little difficult to talk yeah, about. Yeah, in a way. And of course, as a therapist, I would say, and the fear was just justified for you as a child somehow. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. 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 But of course, you're not a child anymore and you've grown up. And so, yeah, what what will it bring when that knot loosens? Because fear is always contraction in some way. I mean, if you just think, how do I notice fear? You can feel your muscles somewhere contract. Even if not on the outside, at least on the inside, like your stomach will do, like. Yeah, yeah, and then and then I think that was the kind of the connection that I made, less explicitly than I would have wished, but but that if I can initiate action in relationship to my parents from a different place than that fear, (laughs) then everything changes. Like this was the that was the kind of. Yeah, Yeah! 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 And I think it goes for so much. Like it goes for when we start, when we field something or when we gather people or when we, when we start a company or when we choose mm-hmm. our careers or choose our education or what, whatever it might be, um, that, that sparking emotion, that one that puts us over the, over the little hump, you know, and, and start, puts us in motion. Right. It, it matters. And the spark, sometimes the spark comes from the rigid patterns. Like you continue basically or out of fear, oh, I don't do that because I'm not smart enough. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and you can learn to, to see like, what is the spark if the fear has been processed? Like in your mm-hmm. example of what will you say to your parents or what will you do with your parents when that fear has somehow healed? How would that then look like? It would be nice to see, I guess. <laughs> More life, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 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 In, in these collective processes um the this idea of the the social component uh, of of how we hold each other in patterns or in specific ideas or like uh, allow each other to go certain places um how what is a regenerative way of working with with those collective, I don't know, regulation patterns, or I don't know what to name them. You feel like patterns where groups get stuck? Is that what mm-hmm. you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the very short answer is, I don't know yet. 
And what I've noticed um, in our collective fencing network, but also in other, like the art of hosting network, which are self-organizing networks, meaning there's no boss, there's no institution, there's no accreditation. It's a loose network, basically. Mm. It's very loose because there's hardly any rules, but there's a pattern of how you relate with one another, of how we we have a practice together. But a self-organizing network only works when people take the agency they want to have or they can take up. Like in a self-organizing network with no boss and no institution, there's nobody who will give you permission. There's nobody who's going to tell you what to do. So if something you see that needs happening or that would be nice to happen, you can complain that nobody else takes initiative. But if you see it, you can call it into being. You can find what we co-hosts, as we call them, who host that initiative with you, a conversation or a gathering or a training or whatever it is. But as I've written the book on collective sourcing and collective presencing, I am seen as the source. That's a new language for some people. It doesn't mean I am the boss who takes all decisions Mm. or who is going to tell you what to do or not to do. And that is that authority paradigm pattern is so deeply ingrained that yeah you think some people like oh they're really in their own power and great and then after some years in a network and like hey where have they gone and they, they they're stuck in, in the hierarchy dynamic, like getting, having critique or stepping out because it's not what they want. Or instead of, if it's not what you want, why don't you engage so that it can change? Yeah? And there's, there's, there's no parents around who will do it for you. And that's a, a deep, deep, yeah, a deep pattern. People rather move away sometimes or start a fight. It's 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 deeper than what I assumed it was. That's why I'm saying it. And, and is it sort of if we speak of like geographically related culture is there a, is there an east west component to that too or is that um i heard some people like some women from vietnam from the art of hosting network were visiting us uh, this summer and they said it's in their culture it's even deeper than in the West. Like having that reverence for authority and like the one who started it or the one who has written the book or, yeah. They have a, even a harder time. Maybe more f- formal. I, I don't know. I haven't mm. really dived deep into it. But it's it's more widespread and deep, more unconscious than most people are aware of. Yeah, because you invoked the image of the pa- parent, I think. Yeah. Like yeah. the 
the authority and the parent and the yeah yeah hierarchy is, is always that huh? and it it also makes me curious about this whole concept of eldership that I hear at least a lot of people in my generation and younger speak to that we are lacking yeah today. Yeah, that's another thing that I'm so happy in the Collective Presencing Network. We actually have all generations. Mm. Um, I think the youngest lady is barely 30 and the oldest is over 70. So that's really amazing. Um, and I think we have to reinvent that kind of eldership, mentorship, and maybe even two ways. Like, of course, when you have lived longer, you have more practice, you have more life. There's a certain wisdom that can come with that. Mm. But then there is the younger generations, which are not so bound up in, 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 patterns like I was or mm. am. Um, mm. So I think there's something to learn from both sides. But the mix of generations, that's what we truly need. And, and the Western world is, is all about, oh, I'm just with my class. I mean, class in school, yeah. all the same yeah, and I mean, even social class and economic class, like everything is just being cut into small little pieces and small small pieces of, of pie, and you stay with your own type of... Yeah. But I was it's curious because I heard you, you were saying something around that the older generation has had a more, had more life, and, and I, think I kind of misheard it because I... You know, or, or like it, my brain skipped because yeah. in a way it's like, it's as if you have had more life. So like if you look at the life as like you integrate on the curve, then you have a lot. There's a lot sort of, you know, but maybe your, your, your peak, yeah, your peak life or like your peak energy at this particular point might be a little bit lower. Whereas with, with the young person, it might be different. Like if you are propelled in the right direction, you have almost infinite energy, you know, that you can really direct into something. But, but the, integration of the curve like the potential of the curve is potentially much higher in a way or like <laughs> there was something there around how the i'm, I'm drawing from like a, a philosopher friend of mine who talks about sort of the elders they uh -huh. are there to provide the wisdom and then you have the younger that are there to provide the energy in a way like that yeah it's in that conversation where you can have there's a certain freedom of being young and you can you can disregard certain things whereas yeah as an elder you have have other possibilities like your solution space looks different or yeah. possibility space yeah yeah i mean it's different when you have had if i just look at my professional life i've seen so many individual clients going through processes that's a, a heap of experience where of course i can see the patterns quicker than somebody who starts being a coach or a therapist. It's just that. Right? Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, and, and I'm really grateful for this little exploration because um, it feels yeah. like that. Uh, <laughs> now, I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh that's speaking about that the next, the next, um, hero or savior is the sangha or like the the group of people next, the collective the next buddha buddha next yes buddha. thank you next That's buddha good. is the sangha yeah. Yeah. yeah i think he is right and we have to learn a lot <laughs> to make that <laughs> a reality yeah but it's it's interesting it's oh, enli enlivening yeah. And um, yeah, 
there's there's an end here. So I'm going to take that off ramp and and just offer you to uh, is are there places where people can find you online or where you would want to direct them to either for reading or like getting more informed or getting more involved or where, where would you like people to go find you? So there's open sessions on collective presencing, which you find to the STOA. This is STOA is hosting um, the STOA.ca. Um, that's where you can find the open sessions. Um, and there is a website, collectivepresencing.org, where you find um, the book I've written, which is available in PDF. So you can download it. And you can download it for free or gift, gift something, whatever you like. And there will be some, if there's other programs or events that also will appear on the website, which might change from from day to day. <laughs> Not from day to day, but like we don't have a program set up for the next year or something. And there's a newsletter, of course, which we only send out when we actually have to announce something. I'll provide the links for the, the STOA and the Collective Presency website in the show notes Thank as you. well. So they will be there. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice. It certainly felt regenerative to me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good. Thank you.